morning. It's great to see you guys. As, as Zach said, I mean, we knew a lot of people were going to come at 10, so this is no surprise. But if, uh, if you're new in the house with us, if you're a guest, I just want to personally welcome you again. Uh, we're honored that you're here, and if we can serve you in any way, please let someone on our team know. We'd love to do that, all right? Uh, before we dive in, just one quick thing. I want to remind you about our big grand open, opening celebration happening tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, if you didn't see the video that I posted yesterday, we did make some changes. Yesterday, the probability of rain for today was much, much higher. And so we had to make some decisions in regard to food trucks, in regards to sound systems. Uh, you know, food trucks and sound systems don't work too well in the rain. And so uh, yesterday, pretty early on in the day, we just had to call it and uh, let the food truck people off the hook, our sound guy off the hook. And so we're still doing a celebration tonight. It's just going to be indoors uh, we're going to have our ribbon cutting. we got several city officials and community leaders that are going to be here with us. Uh, we're going to celebrate baptism. I think we got 15 people being baptized tonight, which is going to be incredible. So, listen, don't, don't skip out just because it's going to be a different type of event now, all right? We're going to do it all indoors, and we'll have you out of here in time to go eat dinner together, okay? So, that's our commitment to you. But uh, even if you're new, we'd love to invite you to come back and hang with us tonight, Okay? Awesome. With that said, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're new to Bible reading, it's toward the back. It's in the New Testament. So if you can kind of find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, flip over a few books, and then you'll find it. Ephesians chapter 2. Well, today we're in week three of a series called Welcome to Cross Point. And in this series, we're teaching through the seven core convictions of our church. These convictions, as I've been sharing the last couple of weeks, they inform every decision we make, every practice that we hold to, and these are the things that we strive to be known for. Now, with that said, the purpose of this series depends a bit, or I'm sorry, differs a bit depending upon who you are. First, if this is your church, like these are your people, this is your family, the purpose of this series is to remind you of who we are. I mean, you guys all know we are in a massive season of change right now, but one thing that has not changed and one thing that will not change is who we are as a people, right? I mean, I've been saying this, I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's important for you to keep hearing it, but as great as this building is and, and as grateful as I am for it, this building will not define us because the church is a people, not a place, Amen. And so look, we're not going to become different people just because we're meeting in a different house. That's number one. Number two, if you're new here, if today's your first day or you've been coming for a few weeks now, the purpose of this series for you is to welcome you or introduce you to Cross Point. You see, here's what we know. Anytime you visit a new church, you leave with questions. Uh, you start wondering, why did they do that? And why didn't they do that other thing? And why did they sing so long? And, you know, why are people raising their hands? That seems kind of weird. And, you know, there's all these questions that you leave with. And so in this series, what we're hoping to do is answer a lot of those questions for you. And so if you're new, I just want to say, look, you're here at a great time. I would encourage you to keep coming back, at least for the next few weeks. And by the end of this series, I think you'll know whether or not this is the church for you, all right? So with that said, we're going to dive in and get to work, all right? Here's our third conviction. Here at Cross Point, we believe that everyone needs a second chance. That everyone needs a second chance. It does not matter if you are the holiest person in the room or if you're the biggest heathen in the room today. Every single one of us 
needs a second chance. Here's the description of that conviction. We believe our God is a God of grace and second chances. It's only because of his grace expressed in Jesus that we can know new life in him and eternal life with him. Therefore, we will be a people of grace, extending freely to others what God extended freely to us. Grace will be the platform from which we share the truth so people far from God can experience the second chance at life only he offers. Many of you in the room know that I'm in school right now. I'm actually busy working on a master's degree. And this summer, I took a class on the doctrine of spirituality. Sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? It was, uh, it was a great class, but uh, the first assignment for the class was a paper on the topic of holiness, and I'll be honest and tell you, going into it, I felt pretty good about it. I mean, I have a decent theological understanding of holiness, and so I figured I'll do pretty well. This one should be pretty easy. Well, I got my paper back a couple weeks later, and the grade I received was not the grade I was expecting, Okay. It wasn't awful, but it wasn't the type of grade that I'm used to get. Uh, I'm, I'm used to get. I'll just put it that way. So I saw the grade, a little frustrated, a little discouraged, but I decided life will go on. I'll suck it up. I'll get over it. Well, about a week after getting the paper back, I had to take a two-question test on my writing experience. And the first question was, how many hours did you spend on your paper? The second question was, would you like to receive a 100 regardless of the effort you put in or the quality of the paper you produced. Now, listen, when I read that second question, I started looking for cameras. You know, I'm like, is somebody punking me right now? This has to be a trick. I mean, if I say yes, they're going to kick me out of school for being a slacker, right? And so I kid you not, I stared at my computer screen for a solid 10 minutes. And I'm just reading the multiple choice options. Answer A, yes, thank you. Uh, Answer B, yes, but I don't think it's fair. Answer C, yes, and I hope it happens again in the future. thought that was interesting. And then D, D, no thanks, I don't want it. Well, listen, after wrestling with my response, being the very honorable man that I am, what option do you think I picked? I don't know what you said, but I picked D, all right? I picked, there were so many answers, but... I picked D, no thanks, I don't want it. You know, I just felt in that moment, if that's what I earned, and if that's the grade I deserve, then that's the grade I'm going to live with. Well, right after I submitted my answers, I had to watch this follow-up video, and as soon as I started watching the video, I realized very quickly, the test I just took was a test. Uh, A test on my willingness and ability to receive grace. You see the professor, yeah, that's how I felt too. Um, (laughs) The professor went on to explain that grace is simply you and I receiving what we didn't earn, receiving what we don't deserve. Grace is when help comes from an outside source when you and I are completely helpless to help ourselves. And that was the offer on the table. If you want 100, it's yours. Like, you didn't, have, you didn't even have to write this paper, but if you're willing to receive it, that's the grade we're going to give you. But for guys like me who said, no thanks, guess what we got stuck with? Our grade. Listen, that was a very enlightening moment for me, and, and here's what it showed me. It showed me that although I say I am a grace lover, and, and I really, really am, It showed me that at times I still have a really hard time receiving grace. 
And listen, I think the same is true for some of you in the room today concerning the grace of God. You see, here's the reality, and and we may not say it this way, but it doesn't make it any less true. The reality is some of you sitting in the room today find the grace of God highly offensive. Dare I say that some of you find the grace of God completely repulsive. Because the grace of God forces you to confess that you are needy, that you are helpless, that you are entirely dependent. It forces you to say to God, God, my performance, as good as it may be, means absolutely nothing before you. Listen, come on, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Especially as people who live in such a performance-oriented culture. I mean, we always want to feel like we've done something to earn what we've received. But here's the truth. You can't do anything to earn what God wants to give you. Nothing. What God wants to give you, he offers you as a gift of grace. Let me show you what I mean from the text. Ephesians 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul, he's the writer here. He's writing this as a letter to a church in the city of Ephesus. What he does in these first three verses is he confronts us with the massive problem we face due to sin. And before I just fly past that, I want to clarify what I mean when I say sin. Because I know that for some of you, when you hear that word, your mind immediately goes to bad things that you do. But sin is so much more than that. Let me give you a description that I've offered before. This is from a pastor named Tim Keller. He says, when the Bible talks about sin, it is not just referring to the bad things we do. It's not just lying or lust, whatever the case may be. No, it's ignoring God and the world he has made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. It's saying to God, I will decide exactly how I want to live my life. Now, come on. Can we all agree today? Let's be honest in church. We are all guilty of that, aren't we? Like every single one of us. Uh, We've all walked through seasons and and moments in which we take our lives into our own hands, we ignore God, and we say to him through our actions, I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, why do we do that? Well, it's because of this problem that lives within us called our sin nature. And I'll explain, all right? If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, uh, and you read the story of when sin first entered the world, the story goes something like this. Uh, God creates mankind in his image, and he gives the first two people that he made, Adam and Eve, this commission or this mandate. I want you to rule and reign over the earth in such a way that my very kingdom and character is put on display throughout the earth. You know, we learned last Sunday, if you were here, that is actually the entire purpose of humanity. Right, if you've ever wondered, what's my life about? What's my purpose? Why am I even alive right now? It's really simple. God, who is spirit, created us to be his physical representatives here on the earth, all for his glory and the good of the world. Well, Adam and Eve did okay with that for like two chapters. 
And then in chapter 3 of the entire Bible, they failed miserably. They decide, instead of imaging God, we'll be our own gods. And as a result of their rebellion, this is what we see in Genesis 3, all of creation, including humanity, is brought under a curse. This is why women in the room, you now experience pain in childbearing. Like Eve did that, okay? You can take that up with her in eternity one day, but that's where it all happened. Uh, It's why marriage relationships oftentimes are filled with tension and decision. Um, It's it's why people like you and me walk through life and we see things uh, that just grieve us, injustice, poverty, violence, wars, natural disasters, death, and disease. It's why when you go to work tomorrow, you're probably going to be stressed out. You're going to leave. You're going to be so tired, laborious. I don't even want to do this tomorrow, right? It's all because of this curse, but that's not where it stops. This curse has also left people like you and me with this natural tendency or inclination to push God aside, rebel against him, ignore him in this world that he's made. In other words, you and I now have a broken nature. That broken nature has been passed down to us from our first parents, Adam and Eve, right? It's like a disease, this hereditary disease that's just been handed down from generation to generation. Your broken nature distorts all of your desires, and your distorted desires persuade you to do what you want over what God wants. And when you give in to those desires, it's called sin. Listen, here's the implication of all that. And this is really what Paul's getting at here in these first few verses in Ephesians 2. He wants us to see that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. 10 o'clock, you tracking with me on that? I want to say it again because you have to get this. Paul's teaching us that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And I'll try to illustrate it, all right? Take a dog, for example. Why does a dog bark? Some of you are smiling. You're like, it's obvious because it's a dog, bro, right? Like, like none of us ever see a dog and wonder if it's a dog. I don't know. That animal looks familiar, but I'm not sure. I know what I'll do. I'll hang out and see if it barks. And if it barks, I'll know that's a dog. We We don't do that. We know what a dog is, right? And so we expect the dog to bark because that's what dogs do. Listen, in the same way, none of us have to wonder whether or not you're a sinner, like, we don't have to hold a special dinner at our house to figure it out. I, I don't know. They kind of look like a sinner, but I've never seen them since, so I'm not so sure. So <laughs> I'll invite them in, and I'll just watch. And if they do, then I'll, I'll know. No, look, you and I, we're all sinners by nature. And so sin is what we do. I say this almost every time I teach on this topic because I believe it's one of the greatest evidences of our sin nature. But if you ever doubt the reality that we are born as sinners, just have some kids. Parents, can I get an amen? Come on. (laughs) Like, you know, like I know, that you don't have to teach your kids how to sin. They come out of the womb as experts. Uh, I mean, just a couple of months ago, for example, my wife took our daughters to Target, uh, doing a little bit of shopping, and my oldest daughter, Rowan, who is seven, came home with a balloon that she did not have before she went to Target. And so my wife said, Ron, where did you get the balloon? I got it from Target. And she said, what do you mean it came from Target? We didn't buy a balloon. And she said, oh, no, 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 Mommy, it's fine. I saw this bag of balloons on the shelf, and I just wanted one, so I opened it, and I took this. Listen, that's what I'm dealing with at my house, like, all the time. 
That's my girl. Look, why did she do that? I mean, neither my wife nor I taught her how to steal, so why did she steal? Because it's in her nature to do so. Just like the rest of us, my seven-year-old daughter is a filthy, rotten sinner, right? (laughs) It's the truth. So listen, Paul goes on as, as he's talking about our sin nature in this text, and he tells us that there are actually three influences that attempt to control that nature. Here's the three influences. Number one is the world. The world. Now, when Paul talks about the world in this text, he's referring to the worldly system that has been set up and is currently controlled by Satan himself. So think about worldly values, worldly attitudes, worldly beliefs, uh, all those things that are constantly shoved in our faces that oppose God and his way of life. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's this system that has been perfectly designed to draw us away from God and towards sin. Influence number two is the devil. The devil. Uh, Paul talks about the devil in this text, but he doesn't use that name. He, He actually refers to him as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. And so we might even lump all his demonic forces into the same category as we think about this. But you know, I taught last week, if you were here, that the devil hates God. And the entire purpose of his life is to rob God of the honor and glory that he rightfully deserves. And the way that he does that is by persuading people like you and me who've been created by God in his image to put his kingdom and character on display to the world. He persuades us not to do that and to live how we want. No, don't obey God. Don't image God. Live as a son or daughter of disobedience. Defy God. Ignore God. Live the life you want to live. And so just like the world, the devil is constantly working along with his demonic forces to draw us away from God and towards sin. And then finally, number three is the flesh. The flesh. You find Paul, the same guy who wrote the book of Ephesians, you find him talking in a lot of his writings about the flesh. According to Paul, the flesh is simply a set of sinful desires or passions that live within you. And when those desires and passions are at work in you, everybody who knows you sees it. Because when those desires manifest themselves, they come out of you as extreme selfishness. Anybody know any selfish people? If you're in the room, don't point at them, okay? Just like, (laughs) just hang with me. But why are people selfish? Why are all of us selfish at times? It's because of our flesh. When we live according to our flesh, what we naturally do is we elevate ourselves over uh, over and above all else in life, including God. We love the wrong things and we hate all the right things because the right things stand in the way of our selfish, sinful pursuits. And please hear me, it's so important for you to get this because as people, we can be tempted at times to wrongfully believe that our sin problem just kind of lives out there somewhere. Oh, it's the world's fault. The world's doing this to me. Oh, the devil, he's making me sin. Wrong. Neither the devil nor the world can make you sin. They can tempt you to sin. They can't force you to sin. You see, sin is a choice. And it is a choice you make. Please don't miss this. It is a choice you make when you say yes to the fleshly desires that live in you due to your broken nature. So here's the question. Where does that leave us? 
Where does that leave us? Like, what are the results of, of you and I being, by nature, sinful, rebellious people who ignore God in the world that he's made? Well, Paul gives us two answers in the text. Number one, he says we're under wrath. Number two, we're spiritually dead. These are the results of sin. We are under wrath. We are spiritually dead. To be under the wrath of God means that you are headed for the judgment of God. It means that in this life, God actually removes his hand from you and he allows you to live how you want to live so that you experience the natural consequences and judgment of your sin. But it also means that when your life on earth ends, you face ultimate judgment in that the punishment of God and the anger of God is felt and experienced through separation from God for all of eternity in a place of eternal torment. That's what it looks like to be under the wrath of God. To be spiritually dead means that you are completely powerless to free yourself from the wrath or the curse you now find yourself under. And that makes a whole lot of sense when you think about a physically dead person, doesn't it? I mean, come on, 10 o'clock, what can a dead person do? Nothing. Why? Because they're dead. They have no life in them to change their situation. And in the same way, because people like you and me are spiritually dead due to sin, we are powerless to undo what sin has done to us. Like you can't come to church enough. You can't follow enough rules, give enough, serve enough, live a moral enough life to bring yourself back from spiritual death. And so the point Paul's making here is really simple. Please don't miss this. He's trying to help us see that as sinful people, we are powerless. We're helpless. We're needy. We are entirely dependent upon the grace of God. And what we need more than anything else in life is for the God of the universe to give us a second chance. And here is the beautiful news of the gospel. It's what we see in our text as we're continuing to read it. According to what Paul says, that's exactly what God offers people like us. Look at verse 4. You need to underline these two words in your Bible. But God, two of the most beautiful words in all the scripture. Not but you. You were dead. You were hopeless. You were powerless. You were under the wrath of God. But praise God, you figured it out. You pulled yourselves up by the bootstraps and you got hard to work to fix it all. That's not the gospel. That's not what Paul's saying. No, when you were in that dead state, God did something. God did something. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so Paul starts here in verse 4, and he simply tells us that God is rich in mercy. This is so powerful. That word mercy there comes from a Greek word that means undeserved kindness. So I want you to think about this. God who is holy, meaning he is different, he is distinct, he is set apart, he is unique in every way, perfect, clean, he exists outside of creation, he is nothing like us or anything else that exists, right? God is holy. That God creates us to bear his image in the world for his honor and glory and we say to him, no thanks, we're out. God, we, we got this. We're going to do life our way. And how does that God respond? By showing us undeserved kindness. 
How insane is that? That out of his great love for us, God decides, I'm going to withhold from them everything they deserve. Judgment, anger, punishment, wrath, that's mercy. And in grace, I'm going to give them everything they don't deserve through the life, death, resurrection, and even ascension of my son, Jesus Christ. So what does God give us that we don't deserve? Well, Paul talks about two things. Number one is a new condition. A new condition. He says in the text that God has made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. It means if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, that the God of the universe has brought you back from spiritual death and he's given you brand new spiritual life. Like just as God broke into that tomb 2,000 years ago on that Sunday morning and resurrected his son from the dead after he died in your place for your sins three days earlier, the God of the universe reached into the tomb of your life and he raised you up to brand new spiritual life. That's what God has done for you if you know Jesus Christ. And so let me try to give you a picture of this, all right? Um, I've heard guys preach this wrongly in the past, so I just want to set the record straight for a moment if I can. Listen, you are not the equivalent, spiritual equivalent, of that person who's out in the middle of the ocean flailing around close to drowning in need of God to throw you a life preserver. That is not you. You are the equivalent of that dead, lifeless corpse at the bottom of the ocean in need of the God of the universe to dive into the depths, drag your dead, lifeless body back to the shore to breathe new life into you again. My friends, that is salvation. Salvation is not about God making bad people good. It is about God making dead people alive. Amen? And hear me, if you know Jesus Christ, that's exactly what he's done for you. Your condition has changed. But then secondly, Paul teaches that if you know Christ, you also have a new position. That in his grace, God has given you a new position. First, he says that God has raised us up with Jesus. So get this, not only has God given you new spiritual life if you know Christ, but God has also given you a place in his family. This is something that I missed for such a long time. You know, I've told you this before, but as a kid who grew up in church, I believed for a long time that God loved me enough to keep me out of hell, but I didn't think God liked me very much. And so while I believed that my condition had changed, I failed to realize that my position had changed. Are are you tracking with me? You see, I didn't really understand that I was actually a loved son in the family of God. That when God looked at me, all he saw was the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. That because my new position was in the son, God saw me as a son, not as a sinner. He didn't see James the broken dude always rebelling, always defying, always disobeying. No, he saw James the holy, James the righteous, James the perfect. Not because I am those things, but because Jesus in his grace gifted me those things. And I need you to know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, the same is true for you. Your position has changed. Isn't that awesome? But listen to me, that's not where your new position ends. Paul also says that in his grace, God raised you up and he seated you with Jesus in heavenly places. This is incredible. Look, not only are you a loved son or daughter in the family of God if you know Christ, but at the same time, you now hold a position of royalty in the kingdom of God. This is unbelievable to me. Like, this is what Paul's teaching here. 
He wants us to see, for those of us that know Jesus, that in a spiritual sense, we have been seated with Jesus on his throne. And I'll try to explain it best I can. All right, let's just think about Jesus. There he is. The resurrected Jesus who has defeated sin, death, and hell forever is seated on the throne of heaven, ruling and reigning over the universe as king at the right hand of God. Paul's going, spiritually, you're there. Right? We know from the Bible that physically one day we're going to be with Jesus on his throne, right? That when Christ comes to the earth for a second time, he's restoring all things. Everything we hate about this world will be no more. Jesus will be king, and you and I will be in brand new, resurrected, physical bodies, ruling and reigning with him in his kingdom forever. But Paul's going, yeah, but that's already happening for you now, spiritually, Like spiritually, you're you're seated with him, ruling and reigning right now, which means in this present moment as a believer in Jesus Christ, the same power, the same authority, the same access to God that belongs to the ascended Jesus belongs to you. And can I just say, that's why you and I can't ever believe that old dead lie that we just have to live weak, powerless lives while we're here. Oh, well, it's just a big, bad world out there, James. I just don't know. Oh, sin, it's just, oh, it's just so hard. My issues, I just don't know if I can deal with this stuff. Like, who told you that? Who told you that on this side of eternity, you're weak and powerless, and the best thing you can do is just suffer and wait around until you die one day? That does not have to be your reality. Why? Because the same power and authority that belongs to the king of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, belongs to you right now. The question is, and I want to start closing with this, why in the world would God in his grace give us those things? I mean, if it's true that you and I really are sinful people by nature, rebellious, ignoring him in the world that he's made, why would God freely offer us a new condition and a new position? Look back at verse 7. Paul answers the question. Here's his answer. He says, so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is amazing to me. Uh, I think verse 7 in Ephesians 2 may be, for me personally, the hardest verse to comprehend. It's just dumbfounding. I mean, Paul's literally teaching here that the reason God has given us grace, don't miss this, is so that for the rest of eternity, he can just keep showing us grace. That's his answer. God has given us grace in and through Jesus Christ in this present time so that one day we can go home and be with him and he can just keep pouring out on us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness that already belongs to us because of Jesus. Listen, if that's confusing, I'll give you a really weak analogy in hopes that it'll help, okay? Parents in the room, think about this. Why do you have kids? Some of us are like, I don't know, bro, because <laughs> they are expensive and they're hard. And Listen, I get that, but, but listen, in a culture like ours, other cultures are different, but in a culture like ours, we don't have kids for what our kids can do for us, correct? I mean, in reality, our kids can't really do a whole lot for us anyway, especially when they're younger, No, we have kids so that we as moms and dads can pour out our love, our care, our compassion, our kindness, our blessing onto them, yes? Well, Paul's teaching here that in a similar way, God in his grace makes us sons and daughters in his family 
to safely bring us home one day to be with him so that for the rest of eternity, he can just pour out on us his blessings, his care, his kindness, his love, and his compassion. That is how gracious our God is, so gracious that he wants to do that for us even though you and I have absolutely nothing to offer him. Now, with all that said and with that in mind, I'm gonna say two things and then we're gonna be done, okay? Uh, Number one, the reason our church takes so seriously giving grace to other people is because that's the kind of grace we've received, right? Let me just say it again. I need you to hear it. And some of you probably can give a better amen than you just gave, so let's, let's try this again. The reason, that's so important. Listen, the reason, the reason we take so seriously as a church giving grace away to other people, regardless of who they are, is because the grace that we've talked about today This is the kind of grace we've received. You see, look, I'm smart enough to know as your pastor that Cross Point City Church is not a church for everybody. Uh, There are people outside in this community and and probably some of you in this room, you're thinking after I leave today, probably won't go back. I mean, it's fine, but that's just not my cup of tea. You know, the music was not how I like it, kind of loud. They sang for longer than I like to sing. And, um, you know, the preaching, I've heard better. You know, like there's people that just... They see us, so they come here, and they go, just not really my thing. And that's fine. Praise God for all the other churches in this community. Amen? Like, I want you to know, hear this from me. We are for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ outside of our walls. We are. We are for all the other churches in this area. We love the fact that, that there are different churches that exist for different people. Like, we don't care where people go to church. We just love the fact that they're going somewhere. So praise God for them. But listen, while we know we're not a church for everybody... We do want to be a church for anybody. You see, it's my hope and prayer that anybody, regardless of who they are, what they walk in believing, how they're living, could come to Cross Point and right away experience the love and kindness of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, hear me, we will always be a church that errs on the side of grace. Always. And I know some people don't like that. That's okay. That's fine. We're always going to err on the side of grace. We'll never avoid the truth. If you've been around Cross Point for any length of time, you should know that by now, right? We're committed to preaching the truth of the gospel because we believe that the truth of the gospel sets people free. But in sharing that truth, we will always lead with grace. Why? Because it's what God has done for us. And so if this is going to be your church, I just need you to know we are always going to push you to love people who don't live like you, who don't believe like you, to love them just like Christ has loved you unconditionally, no strings attached. That's first. The second thing I want to say is this. I believe that there are some of you in the room right now who need to receive for the very first time the type of grace we've talked about today. And you know who you are. Like you walked in and your life is broken and you've tried to fix it and nothing's working and you lack peace and you lack joy and you lack purpose. Maybe you don't even know why you walked in the room today. God brought you here to hear this message because he's trying to give you grace. But there are some of you, and again, you know who you are. You need the second chance at life that only God offers. So how do you receive that life? Look at verse 8. We'll read this and we'll pray. Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
so Paul simply says this, receiving the grace of God is a matter of faith. That's it. You don't work for it. You don't clean your life up in hopes that God gives it to you. No, if you need to receive the grace of God today, you simply go to God in faith, believing and confessing the truths we've covered. God, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And the Savior I need is Jesus. I know that it's only through Him that I can be brought back from spiritual death and know brand new spiritual life. God, I know that it's only through Jesus that I can become a loved son and daughter in your family, both now and in eternity. And can I tell you there's a reason God set it up that way? He set it up that way, according to Paul, so that none of us walk around bragging about what we did to help God out. I mean, that'd be ridiculous anyway, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm such a good person, so of course I'm in. Uh, Perfect church attendance for like 27 years of my life. Of course God is going to give me some grace. No, come on, it doesn't work like that. You can be the best version of you that you can possibly be, and you ain't helping God out at all with your salvation. Salvation is a gift, not a reward. It is something you receive, not something that you earn. And if you need to receive that free gift today, I want to help you do it right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, all across the room. As we're settling in, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to take their places. If you're that person who knows right now in this moment, James, you have been preaching to me. I need the grace of God. I need that second chance at life. I need God to make me a brand new person. And right where you're seated, in the balcony, down on the floor, right where you're seated, why don't you just pray something like this and and just confess in faith. Just say to God, God, I need your grace today. I need a second chance, God. I know I'm a sinner and that my sin is keeping me from you. And God, I also know that I can't do a single thing about it. And that's why you sent Jesus. So I put my faith in his death on the cross for me. I put my faith in his resurrection from the dead for me. God, I'm asking you right now, would you take hold of my life? Would you make me into a new person? God, change my condition. Make me alive right now. Change my position. Make me a son, a daughter in your family. God, save me. I say yes to Jesus.